of all three of them. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of getting going at my work here as well. Been going for like a little over six weeks now, just kind of getting now into the groove of like the actual work of the job and kind of starting to get the speed up, I guess, because it's it's just all emails. Yeah, that's what it it comes down to. Yeah. Gotta get your numbers per hour up, kid. What's wrong? It's a little bit lower than last week. Can you can you can you oh, no. can you bump it up a little for us, huh? <laughs> you want you want to come fucking answer these emails, huh? You want you want to give me a, a well worded template that I can just send out, huh? You want to? Ch- I mean, honest to God, that's what I do so often. I I have a little notes <laughs> tab that I have copy paste of just like a whole bunch of different messages that I could send. And I just that's the way to do it. Yeah, I grab from that, pop it into the chat whenever I need it. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, hi. My name is David Baxter, and I am also known as the customer service agent of your dreams. Uh, hi. I'm Johnny Bartlett, and I am the plate of spaghetti that you left on your counter. You should really check in on me. I'm getting a little crusty. It's a little crusty. You might want to put some plastic on that. Yeah, yeah, put me in the fridge or something, maybe. Or just yeah. finish me, you know? It's not you know, too late. It's not too late. You can always warm it up. <laughs> hey, and we are the Bundle Bourgeoisie. Welcome. I, it's so happy, Welcome. So Welcome. happy to have you. This is this is our podcast where we cover all of the games in the Humble Choice Bundle. Yeah, we do that. Uh, it's sort of like a book club, but for video games. Have we ever said that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think you've said that a few times. Yeah, but it's true. <laughs> Book book club implies that we're we're playing with other people and discussing them as we all play. I mean, you're a person. <laughs> you, you count as people. It's, it's a, cl- it's, it's, a club it's of more two. of a book one v one. We don't even like we don't even like what, read the same books. We just talk about different books and then exchange sort of the the qualities and merits of each. Exactly. Yeah. So. <laughs> there's a lot to talk about today let's get into it like what like what are we talking about we're talking about f1 2020 we're talking about pop-up dungeon we're talking about simulacra we're talking about in other waters did you know we're also talking about scully oh dang that's gonna go really well with talking about colt canyon (sighs) dang that's a nice little delicious content sandwich we're gonna have to go ahead and gobble that right on up Mm mm-hmm well let's get into it yeah. uh, so f1 2020 is the first game we're going to be talking about here is developed and published by Codemasters. you've heard about them before if you've gotten any of these bundles before they're in a lot of them uh they did grid 2019 they've done uh all the different dirt games dirt rally uh i guess not all of them i guess the most recent ones four and five 
and a lot of the other yearly F1 games, as well as uh, they've also done some kind of smaller cutesy car games like Micro Machines World Series and Toy Box Turbos. Uh, they're also known for developing the Overlord games, which are really fun. Did not realize that was the same developers. Did yeah, not I know, right? That at all. They did a total like U-turn in terms of like fantasy minion-based, like playing the evil character role-playing game to now developing almost exclusively racing games. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, there. Uh, the price for this game is sixty dollars uh, or seventy dollars. For the deluxe edition, the Schumacher edition, which lets you play as the Michael Schumacher and race in his cars. Uh, I, I had no idea who this motherfucker was. I had to look him up. Uh, he's apparently an older legendary racer who's been like since hospitalized for a brain injury after a skiing accident. And there's like a, some foundations and shit that are like dedicated to like his recovery and also the fact that he was like a really charitable guy, apparently. And he donated a lot Damn. of his winnings to like other people. So uh, some of the DLC for this game also goes to that foundation, apparently. It's like the, the Keep Fighting Foundation DLC. There, there are two of them. They're each $5 each just for cosmetics and customization stuff. With this game, you just, you just get the, the base version. Okay, so what is it? Uh, it is a Formula One racing simulation game with an emphasis on realism and really recreating the sport. It's sort of, uh, I wrote a big word here, but it, it is verisimilitude. It's very similar of the real life experience where it's sort of a recreation of it, trying to recreate all of the different aspects of it perfectly with an emphasis on the preparation and the planning involved with each race. It touches on the life of also like being a racing celebrity in the spotlight, doing interviews and managing your team and sponsorships and stuff like that on and off the track. The gameplay sort of persists of you racing around, you know, a bunch of tracks, trying to maintain consistent speeds passing and avoiding wrecks whenever possible and making pit stops whenever your car needs new tires or servicing after a, a crash. Uh, it's a much more methodical racing game that's more interested in sort of like the longer marathon uh, about like fuel consumption and mileage and driving consistency rather than like the individual moment-to-moment decision-making. Uh, and the cars are so fast that like you literally burn the rubber off of them and have to replace the damn tires like there is certainly an appeal to that, like that, that like you're going so fast. No, nothing else that we physically made has gone this fast, and is is sort of like at a similar competitive racing level. So mm-hmm. I, I do see the appeal there. Uh, in practice, it does mean that you end up going really, really fast down straights, and then whenever you hit a turn, you have to basically go down to a dead stop because these things are so stupidly fast that going around a turn or even slight turn even slightly fast will just make you fly around like a like a bird <laughs> uh so you really have to just like be careful about every single turn uh hairpins especially uh in order for, to prevent from going off course uh the game has uh, a lot of accessibility options to kind of prevent you from you know doing this when you're uh, first starting out like it has an automatic braking system that i didn't even realize how much i was relying on until i turned it off and i was flying out every corner like i completely underestimated the amount of help that i was receiving that, from the game the last f1 game i played i felt that same way like it made you feel really good at the game and then you realize how much the game is assisting you and it's it's ridiculous and, and it got to the point where like i i didn't feel like i was wanting to turn off the accessibility options 
like they just make the game more fun and playable <laughs> yeah they make it physically playable so i'm not just wiping out every single turn and, and like i think that if you were to pick up this game and you're somebody like me who plays more like you know your casual sort of racing games like need for speed and you know whatever like this is it's too much there's so much going on here and it's so complicated and there's so much involving the preparation you know having to think about uh, do I want soft tires? Because this is a qualifying race. I'm not going to need to have have as as quality of a tire. Or do I need like a harder tire so that it'll last for longer? Uh, do I, how do I like set up my 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 sort of car so that it has like speed as the priority or more of like uh, mm -hmm. accessibility as the priority? And it it describes it as like downward force versus forward force, which is sort of like this concept that you sort of have to wrap your head around. Um, you know, there's like this whole thing where like if you like I, I am so used to like going around turns in real life, just letting off the gas and braking. But in racing, you don't really want to let off the gas as much as possible. So you end up braking while gassing, which is a concept that I sort of had to envelop my head around this time, which I, I it's weird to say that I didn't before. But uh, it's it's after playing a bunch of racing games since the the last f1 game that i played of sort of getting getting a better handle on how to sort of handle these really fast stupid cars yeah uh, <laughs> i uh, one thing that i will say is that this game sort of in the career mode it starts you out in f2 and then it sends you to f1 uh and the jump from f2 to f1 is like 50 cc mario kart to 150 cc mario kart it's like it's honestly like like it's jarring a little bit because you're like whoa i didn't realize that the cars went that fast it's like double the speed and suddenly like all of the sort of things that you had gotten used to in f2 you have to do it like twice the speed and it's really intense and really exciting but it also is sort of like man sometimes i just want to chill you know sometimes yep. I, I don't want to like focus really hard on one race for like 30 minutes to 90 minutes if you want to do like the full length races uh i only do like 25 percent of the normal length and even that feels like it's fucking forever because it's like 16 laps or something crazy and it's just it's wild man i i see the appeal because like there was this one race that i had where i wiped out and instead of restarting the race or using like the, the rewind feature uh i decided to keep going even though i was in last place and i just made a pit stop and I decided that I was going to try to go as fast as I can to get a good placement. And I did that, and I got 10th place out of, like, 16 people, which felt like like a reclamation. It felt like something that I mm -hmm. like really earned, and it felt, like, like, super exciting and fun. And, like, I can see why, you know, in, like, online races and stuff like that, why this would be, like, such an exciting sport, and, like, an eSport especially, because there is such an exciting story of, like, oh man, he was doing so good and then he wiped out and then he got back and then he kept going. And, and, and you know, like just the, the, the whole narrative of, uh, oh, he did bad in this race and then now he's getting better in this race or it seems like he's old and now he doesn't quite have it in him anymore. Uh, and, you know, like there's just sort of like the interesting uh, meta narrative in, involving the, the actual sport of it that I find to be very interesting. But mm -hmm. uh, in this game, I felt like, especially compared to the, last f1 game that i played which is f1 2019 this is 2020 um the interview segments for some reason were just like really dumbed down it was like before it was like you were like all showboaty or like you're kind of like showing off or like you're more of a team player and there was sort of a social element to it of like a mm -hmm. rivalry aspect as well um and then in this game it's more like you compliment your 
your braking department or your aeronautics department <laughs> and they like that and your other departments just don't make note like like that's sort of it you know it's sort of like choose one of the four departments to compliment and then move on and yeah i didn't find that to be nearly as engaging uh there is still like the the idea of like sponsorships where um if you want to get tied to a certain racing team then you have to meet certain qualifications those qualifications are things like finishing in the top three in every race or finishing in the top half or getting the most points by having the fastest laps stuff like that god i i I mean, I, I've just I've been playing a lot of Forza Horizon recently, and that game rewards you uh, very well for like starting to learn the actual simulation mechanics of it better. Whereas this game, mm -hmm. I feel like it does not. Like it, it gives you like extra XP and bonuses and stuff like that when you turn off the sort of accessibility options to sort of encourage you to turn them off. And in this game, there's just like none of that. Uh, gotcha. And it's more of an enthusiast's game. It is. I feel like if you have a, a racing wheel. Like, which is what this game is probably played best with, then you probably already know about it and have played it before and have an opinion on it. So, like, I don't know who exactly I'm supposed to write to and say that, like, this is the <laughs> game you need to try because I get the feeling that if you're an enthusiast, you probably already know about this game. I. <laughs> and if you're not an enthusiast, it's probably not the game for you. No, and I will say that like there is an accessible racing game in here somewhere that that is fun, that it has a career mode that like lasts for like eighty some odd hours that'll keep you busy, and and it has an engaging story content. And like if I can kind of just turn my brain off and enjoy the race, I can do really good and get to the front of the pack every time. But I don't feel like it's earned because I don't feel like with all of the accessibility options turned on that I'm like actually racing or doing anything meaningful. You know, I just mm -hmm. feel like I'm running around loops and tracks and it's making numbers go up and it doesn't mean anything to me. Um, so that's sort of my, my critique of that aspect. I feel like the character creation in this game is also, I mean, it's not like you really have to worry about your racer because he's like inside all the time. If there was like an insane character creator, it would be like, why is this here? It's, it's very basic. Mm -hmm. You just kind of sort of like make a racer. You choose their country, which, by the way, the, the selection of ranges of the countries that you can choose from. I was shocked. They let you just race as a racer from North Korea if you want to. You can you can be from <laughs> fucking wherever you want to be. It's incredible. Uh, Got to get that, that representation. I mean, I have got to wonder what a North Korean Formula One driver would 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 race like. Uh, where they would practice, <laughs> what, what, what what their car would look like, who they would sign with, you know? <laughs> would they sign with Alfa Romero or Ferrari or Mercedes? What do you think? <laughs> oh, oh, it's it's gotta be it's gotta be VW. V, v, oh, v, oh. <laughs> A VW bug on the F1 circuit. <laughs> Just the thought of that brings flutters to my heart. I adore that. I, you know, you know me. I love Beetle Adventure Racing on the Nintendo 64, so I love a good Beetle race <laughs> as much as the next guy. So uh, let's but, get those let's get those Beetles in an F1 game. <laughs> I think that points to another reason why, like, I don't like this racing game above other racing games is that it takes itself so seriously. And that, like, when I play Forza Horizon, 
I could run around in like all of the coolest, best, awesomest cars ever on the market, or I could go find like the three-wheeled like weird truck then and then ride that mm-hmm. around in the English countryside and and, and cause nonsense. Like it, it it lacks a certain element of of casual play and of free play of experimentation and it's it's rather rigid and sort of it's it's like you're playing a time trial you're doing a race you're doing a grand prix like like that's sort of all you you have to do as as a player that like i am not personally interested in it but i see why enthusiasts in the sport especially could get wrapped up into it and to buy the yearly release because like the campaign is a is a lot of stuff to go through every time Mm -hmm. even though like there are kind of weird downgrades and side grades and improvements in each sort of course um i don't know it, it, it's a weird game uh, there is like split screen land available and stuff like that if you wanted to do more like kind of casual couch co-op type of stuff uh there are like weekly events that happen but it seems like they happen at very weird like specific scheduled intervals and like you have to show up like a couple of hours like you know and like wait for for the thing to show up and like it's it seems wild uh, there is sort of an esports support, but with the next game around the corner, uh, F1 2021, literally the Steam page is just already up for it. Uh, I don't know if if, <laughs> if it's worth getting super into the esports side of it because it seems like everyone's <laughs> just going to hop onto the next game. <laughs> There's a showroom for, for looking at the different cars and a theater for watching previous races. Um, one thing that I thought was a little bit odd to me was that the preview in Humble Choice was just photos of the cars, and I don't know why. It was it was really strange. It wasn't a single photo of the gameplay at all, and I think that's an odd choice because the Steam page is a much better collection of screenshots, and like it sells the game so much better compared to just like a bunch of photos of the cars and the racers mm-hmm. and against like a red background uh, with no indication of how the game would look like in motion uh it's just very very odd choice to me uh but the f1 2021 steam page also has the same problem so i guess it's a generational thing uh maybe it's just whenever they have a new game that they want to announce they only show the cars rather than the actual gameplay (laughs) which they know f1 stands will buy it anyway i guess they know what people are here for yeah, so I can only recommend this game to a specific kind of person, but you probably already know if you're that kind of person if I'm going to try to make the recommendation to you now. So um, if you have a, a, a racing wheel, give it a try. Um, I, I as With a controller, it was all right, but uh, I felt like I was dominating on casual mode and I couldn't even compete in the slightest when I turn off the accessibility options. So um, it's not so much fun to me. I prefer similar sim racing games like Forza that allow for more options. Uh, and, and yeah, so uh, options. The, let's talk about options. Lots of custom, customizability options. You ever want to play a game that gives you 36 different characters to choose from right off the bat that all of them are familiar and funny and reminiscent yeah. of popular characters or other IPs? Yeah, I, I especially love the troll face. Uh, you should try Pop-Up Dungeon then, our next what? game by yes. Triple B Titles. They've also done Ring Runners. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. I'm not. Uh, this was published by Humble Games, and you know the deal with Humble Games. They've done everything under the sun at this point. Uh, yeah, they publish a lot now. They're they're mostly publishers, it seems. And this game will run you a good old twenty four ninety nine outside of the Humble Bundle.
This is a top-down, roguelite, turn-based tactics game. Uh, that's a lot of words that I'm just kind of throwing at you. Uh, top-down means it's top-down perspective. Roguelite means, you know, you die a whole bunch and you come back to life. Uh, and turn-based tactics game. It's kind of like XCOM, you know? If you're familiar with the sort of XCOM style of grid-based movement, uh, you fight enemies, you have abilities you can use to target them. It's that kind of game. In this one, though, you control one to five characters, and, and you move around and get rid and do fights. You can explore the sort of overworld and find coins that you can use to get permanent upgrades for your characters that will affect your later runs. And then when you walk into rooms with enemies, you trigger a, a turn-based combat sequence. In the combat, everyone has, like, X amount of action points they can use, and you can use that amongst any of your cards so to speak, which represent your abilities. Uh, there are both actions and reactions that some character ha characters have. Most reactions require you to either have unspent action points or be in certain positioning. So it's kind of something to be aware of if you're playing a character that has reaction stuff of like where you're going to hang out, how much action points you want to save for the for the reaction in case you get to do your thing. And reactions are things like taunt the enemy when they go to attack or redirect the damage to another enemy, things like that. Uh, all of your all of your abilities. So every character has different abilities and the abilities they take the form of cards that you play there's no real sense of like a deck or anything you just have access to all of your cards every turn uh, except for the ones with limited uses per battle some of them have like you can use this two times per battle and once you use it twice you spend it all up that's it but they do come back to the next battle uh, winning winning fights gives you loot the loot increases your stats or gives you access to other abilities you can get like oh now i have a sword that lets me do a whirlwind or uh, we got this buff that just gives us more resistance, and, and so there's a lot of balancing of, like, what character gets what upgrades, what, what stats it'll play into effect of, and, and how it will benefit those characters. Uh, and and you get you also get charms and, and objects of power outside of, outside of the, like, drop loot that increases your run, or makes your runs further easier, so... Uh, you can get ones that are like, increase all of your character's dodge chances by a permanent 5% or whatever. Uh, you can get the object of power that David and I found through our through our adventures was uh, <laughs> the, the magical biscuits. Uh, I can't tell you exactly what they did off the top of my head. I don't remember. Uh, all I remember is the quest to get them. It was amazing. Yeah, we went. To, yeah, well, I, I don't remember what it, what it did, but we did have to go to like a what was it like a a, a blue lobster. The blue lobster. Yeah, yeah, and we had to slowly through a series of like multiple choice options work our way to try to convince the waiter through a series of dice rolls to give us a total of ten like sampler rolls in the like waiting room of a. <laughs> yeah to, to, to piggyback on this it was like it, it was a whole ass visual novel yeah. about ordering from blue lobster as a mini game within this game it was it was a great experience and it was just hidden inside one of the random little dungeons that we played yeah just a little random encounter that popped up uh and that's that's kind of the core of the game the the, the roguelike aspect of it is that like you you are doing multiple dungeons, you die, you come back, you can try another run at the dungeon, everything's randomly generated, so no run will feel the same. And, and there's tons of characters to choose from. There's 36 base characters, and there's workshop support to make your own or download other characters that people have made. All of, almost all of, 
if not all of the characters at, at the 36 base ones are modeled off of recognizable characters and IPs and existing people. Uh, there's a lot of charm in the voice lines and the abilities that they have. And every character I think feels really well thought out and super unique to play. Uh, the art, the art I want to talk about specifically, cause the art is super nice in this game. I, I enjoyed it. I don't know about you. Uh, it's, it's all like 3d paper craft. So everything's like simple models of blocks and, and circles and spheres and stuff. But then they have like really well done textures overlaid on top of it. So, so you have this cube face, but then like really detailed textures of the drawn out character that just like smashes onto the cube. I, I, (laughs) one of the things that, uh, a, a fellow in my chat who's a game developer, one of my friends, uh, said that really resonated with me on this was, oh, man, this guy really said I can do textures, but I can't model. And I respect that. <laughs> he literally just had the one model for every character that he just pastes on different textures. And it works. He just... It works. It works so good. Yeah. And it's so charming and looks really well. Uh, and and there's the, there's a there's also there's like 2D models and 3D models that really help distinguish what characters are like playable characters and what characters are sort of like background NPC things. Mm-hmm. But it, and, makes, it makes and, it all look like it's physical too. That's my favorite. That's what, thing. Yeah. So so it's incredibly unique and and it feels closer to like a virtual t- a virtual tabletop than a, like a standalone game. It, it feels like someone took a board game and just like coded it into into this video game and and i think it, it it's really good and speaking of virtual tabletop there's like there's tons of workshop support uh the workshop is mod is ran through the game engine itself so you can't like browse the steam workshop for it but there are you can make your own games and game modes you can download other people's game modes that they've made and there's access to like other characters and abilities people make like cards for the abilities that you can just download and use those in your runs outside of the normal story seasonal and endless modes there's tons to do in this game and the, so so the, the the three game modes that you have are story which is the the campaign of going through the wizard's tower which we'll get into in a second the seasonal which is a sort of like seasonal event that they do and then an endless mode which is just see how far you can get and unlock some stuff the story of this game it's it's straightforward it's as as a lot of roguelites are it's it's more in service to the gameplay than anything but it's it's really well done and really charming you're you're just a couple of dudes five five people going through a wizard's tower and trying to get to the top and and uncover the secrets of the weird mysterious wizard dude and it's it's just it's just full of charm and bad jokes. It's very self aware and lighthearted through the entire thing. There's and and as we mentioned, like the endless biscuit challenge. There's a lot of really fun gameplay moments that break from what could become monotonous and repetitive gameplay if if there weren't things to take you away from it for a little bit. But on all of that. I do want to add a little disclaimer and a warning that the co-op in this game is hot seat co-op and it's a little bit rough, especially if you're playing through Steam Share or online, because like with hot seat co-op, you have to pass the controller over. Essentially, there there is no designated turns or, or you know, player one controls these guys. It's it is just I am letting go of my mouse and keyboard and now you are doing the thing. Yeah. Can I be frank? There is no multiplayer like pass and play is not like a feature. It's just like you 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 can just you can just do that with any game. You could you could play yeah. <laughs> you could play XCOM like that if you really wanted to. 
like absolutely you but know, it is but is it advertised as being co-op and so that is the co-op they refer to is it is hot seat co-op it is yeah <laughs> it's weird they should put like actual co-op in there instead of what we mm-hmm. had to go through because it is not ideal which is why i say i think this game is a ton of fun and it's it's really charming it's really stupid if you if you love dumb internet humor you'll probably love the humor in this game the, it, the it lacks the, the, a lot <laughs> i'm just gonna say sorry the the the, the yep. anon character uh that that I played as which is like the first character that I chose that has uh the troll face as uh, a face is voiced by Moist Critical and and like I think <laughs> that a lot of the different characters are probably voiced by like different popular content creators online so that's also kind mm-hmm. of a, a fun little thing that as you're playing you hear like these little snippets of voice lines from your favorite you know content creators and kind of like go oh I recognize that it's it's good. It, <laughs> uh, I I think the game lacks a lot of mechanical depth, but I think that makes it very accessible. I, anyone can pick up this game and learn how to play it and feel good about playing it. And so wh- while the co-op is tricky online, I think this is a fantastic game to play casually with some friends. If if y'all happen to be hanging out in person or whatever, if you're all vaccinated and all that jazz. I think it. I think you know this game makes like a, I think this would make a fun replacement to like you know Mario Party gatherings and stuff. I, I I could see that. It is also just kind of fun to play on your own and just to sort of like mix and match the different hero options that you have. Because uh, it is sort of fun to to sort of theorize in your head like what sort of mechanics would mesh well with like one character and another character. Yeah, there's a lot of build variety in how you make up your team, and, and you can play around a lot with the sort of strategy there. I, I think it's easy to learn. I think there's plenty of variety in the game, and it's just a silly good time. I think it's a silly good time, and it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a really good simulacrum of tabletop experiences. Yeah, okay. So I'll just take that and run with it. Simulacra is developed and partially published by Kaigen Games. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, uh, oh, and then a U with an umlaut. They have made Doctor Who: The Lonely Assassins, which is another found footage thriller mystery game based on the episode of Doctor Who called Blink with the Angels. It's a really famous one. Uh, they've also made uh, Sarah is Missing and Simulacra Pipe Dreams, which is a free to download version of Simulacra with its own sort of story. Um, they, okay. yeah. They, they've also, they're, they're published by Neon Doctrine. They were the people who published Yuppie Psycho Executive Edition, which is a very fun game. I reviewed that for the bundle. I really love that game. Uh, Lost Castle, which is a very cool looking four player co-op action roguelite. Neverinth, which sort of looks like a Sekiro action inspired roguelike about like a never ending labyrinth and like a bunch more interesting looking games. This is like a publisher that I have never heard of. Dang. But Almost all of their games look like bangers, honestly. Uh, a lot, lot of cool-looking stuff. Uh, so the price for this game is only $5, and it's $1.69 on sale, which is a steal. Uh, this is a found-footage FMV detective game about exploring a missing woman's phone for clues about her disappearance. It's basically an immersive horror visual novel set in a very cool simulated like phone's operating system. You sort of take the role of an internet sleuth as you piece together the clues that you find on this woman's phone in order to figure out the details of her disappearance. And it's such a genius game concept. I love it. 
there's multiple endings based on sort of the different decisions that you make throughout the game, though I got the single worst out of the four main endings, uh, apparently, according to my chat. And I do believe it because I got like, I'll, I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, the game plays with the idea and the ethics of looking through people's phones for information, as well as the idea of how we present ourselves online and how we really know who we're talking to on the other side of the line. It touches on the... Hence the name Simulacra. Yes, yes, yeah, exactly. Uh, it touches on, uh, quote-unquote, this is from Sarah is Missing, the voyeuristic pleasure that one gets from prying through another person's personal items. And I think that's such an interesting idea for a game to sort of to toy with that. And also because, like, throughout the game, you sort of have these different people that end up messaging the phone. And you can talk with them and the decisions that you make when, as you talk with them about how much information you give them and stuff like that uh, affect the outcome at the end of the game. And it, it's sort of like, uh, you know, for example, you find out that like one of the people that you were talking to is actually like a sex offender. And you have to decide what that means in the context of can I trust him? Uh, mm -hmm. and, and then like, well, what, what, what you, you can find out more information. Like what was the infraction for? How did it happen? Uh, or, or, or like maybe he might get offended that you even asked. It's like just a bunch of different possibilities for like what, what, what could happen, it seems like. It's about how we don't really think about the information that we put online and how easy it can be to figure out what kind of person you are and the details about you that are important about, you know, to like access your account and where you've been and stuff uh, based on the contents of your phone. Uh, but it is also where the idea of the simulacra comes from. If you've never heard of it, it's sort of, the, the definition of it is a likeness or imitation of another being. Uh, the idea sprung up originally to describe paintings and how uh, a painting is sort of like a simulacra of the person because it represents them and it is a visual copy of them, a representation of them, but it is not necessarily wholly the thing in which it is meant to represent. It is just a representation, a simulacra. Uh, so this game talks about... one of about... my favorite words. Oh, it's such a good word. <laughs> it's used to describe the way in which we create imperfect copies of ourselves online essentially in this game's context uh in the sort of the ways that we present ourselves online it becomes a simulacra of the person that we are in real life you know every image that we take every post that we make every <laughs> shot that we take on tinder uh you know it tells you a little bit about the image of the real world person behind the screen and behind the phone. And uh, yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that for now to kind of go more into overview of the actual game of what you're doing. Uh, it begins as you sort of unlock her phone. Uh, you're trying to find in more information about her. So you go into her uh, gallery and you find uh, a mysterious like 30 second long video uh, her is just screaming, super in distress. This sort of glitchy, weird thing is happening to her, and you can't tell exactly what's going on. Her eyes are all like kind of blacked out, uh, and she screams to not come looking for her. She she says, "Don't come looking for me." And of course, being the curious assholes that we are, we gotta go looking for her. We gotta figure out what happened. So uh, the phone suddenly reverts, like reverts back to an older state, and then. Uh, more info is sort of slowly restored to the phone as like messages are sent to you and other content is added through phone backups. And, and that's sort of how you go through 
the content of this one and how it's sort of delivered. So it's not just like all immediately, like all of the information right at the very beginning. You sort of, it's it's more information that's slowly doled out to you through the course of like a longer series of scripted events. Uh, so you message your contacts for clues to keep, you can choose to keep them in the loop or deny them information while you attempt to figure out who could have kidnapped the woman. Uh, you know, if that's even what happened to them at all, because it's kind of unclear what happened. Uh, so you, you know, it's sort of questions like, do you trust the Tinder date with the sex offender shtick with information about uh, her personal life and well-being when he might be able to help you? Uh, you know, do you comply with sending him information? He even asks for a photo at one point, which is sort of like a, a big red flag. Uh, it's sort of like, w what level of privacy are you willing to invade in order to try to save this person, essentially? Uh, and then you also have like this ex who's, who blows up her phone wondering about where she's been hasn't talked to her in months and she's just like just just he's just desperate looking to be uh, of any kind of help uh but then like what happens when he finds out about, about the disappearance is he going to go crazy is he going to start like doing things that are unhinged or maybe does he even have something to do with it himself you know all of these questions sort of run through your head as you're, you're playing this game and you're trying to keep your wits about you and use your best judgment to sort of find and rescue her uh so the game plays through uh, basically just a bunch of uh, puzzles where you have to figure out passwords using clues hidden throughout the phone or security questions, stuff like that. Uh, there's also like these little decoding bits uh, where you have to like uh, scramble puzzles. Like <laughs> it reminds me of Duolingo where like you'll have a text that's like scrambled and you have to like put it in the right order. It'll be all like, are you messing with me or something anna but yeah you have to do stuff like there's a security question that's like what, what's my cat's birthday and you can go through a photo gallery and then you find a photo of her cat on its birthday and then you write that information down and then you use that to log into her stuff uh, it, it's puzzles like that really like non-orthodox puzzles that really make you like think and actually kind of work like a detective i i found myself writing stuff down a lot during this game while like trying to solve the different puzzles in this game which i think is a very good thing uh mm -hmm. one thing that i'll say i i don't know why this game has as many jump scares as it does it seems almost unnecessary i it, it's it's a little spooky and demonic as things go on uh and they're like he says the spooky game spooked me that was unnecessary <laughs> it's not unnecessary necessarily it's just like why is there just random knocking on the wall while I'm playing the game and nothing else is going on? I'm just chatting with Greg over here. Why has the wall got to go all fucking cracking on me? It's like, like it'll just be pure silence for like, like, like 30 minutes. And then you'll just hear like, and it's like, what the fuck was that? Was that in here? What the, f was it, was that in my house? Was that in my room? What? And it's like, it's like, it makes you question like, what the fuck is even happening? And, and like, <laughs> like what you're hearing and like, I don't know. It's it, it's it, it dug into my my deep subconscious to the point where I was half tempted to turn off the sound and just enjoy it as a visual experience rather than an audio one. Uh, <laughs> uh, so just be warned about that. Um, so I this is gonna get into the spoiler part now because I'm gonna talk about sort of my ending of the game and what ended up happening. And uh, yeah, to so, avoid spoilers, skip to forty two minutes and five seconds. Okay, so I, like I said, got one of the worst endings in this game. Basically, I couldn't get uh, Anna, who's the girl you've been trying to find, her ex, Greg, to trust me. 
he ended up running directly into the fray after I found out what was sort of happening, and he got himself taken by this thing. The same thing that, like, took Anna. It's basically revealed, I don't know what this thing is necessarily, but it's some kind of entity that manifested through the internet and lures people into dates using, like, the information of the last person that it caught, essentially, where upon arrival, it consumes their physical body and then hijacks their online identity, essentially their simulacra, and then it moves on so to the So we got a kind of it follows thing going. Yeah, yeah, where it's like going from person to person, consuming them and using like each person as a tool to grab the next person in line. Uh, it's a very interesting sort of concept and I, I really found it to to be very engaging and it's probably what the whole basis of the second game is, is about because i don't know that i'm going to be able to stop this thing it's sort of like this force of nature almost that's just taking people online and just can't be stopped uh and so i i don't know what the the good ending would be like how how i can rescue anna or if it is even possible now that she is in the clutches of this terrifying entity but for the longest time i was questioning all of the other people i i I'd thought that there was going to be like a like a real explanation like it's going it's just it's just the ex Greg or something but but no it's like some demon entity who's trying to fucking kill you through the internet and it it's some kind of high concept shit to throw at you towards the end but they do build up to it pretty well uh even though you do suspect so many different people throughout the run of the game it's really interesting because it it feels like it's less of like hey, this is a silly murder mystery, but more of like a, this is an actual horror experience designed around the sort of cultural implications of social media and what it means to us in this parasocial relationship. And like... Yeah, and also like the kind of horror of like wanting to save somebody, but not really knowing that the police would be able to help if you turned them over to them. Like, because there's this situation that's like so far above the law or above the police that like they're not like under normal duress they're, they're they're like captured by some weird internet shit and like you mm -hmm. don't know how you can help them or if you should just turn them over to the police or like you know like that's what one of the characters ends up do ended up doing in my game where like they they basically just ratted me out because i told the truth to them and uh they called the police on me and stopped my whole investigation and prevented me from being able to like save anna uh, damn yeah so it's just it's it's very interesting because it's it's all about the idea that you don't know what people are going to do when you send them a message right you know you don't know what's what's going on in their head and it's all about trying to deduce what's going on in their head from the messages that they send to you and the horror of mm -hmm. questioning everyone and not knowing who to trust uh and i think that that is a very very genius way to tell the story and uh, it's just, I can't wait to jump back into this one to find the other endings. This is one I'm definitely going to be returning to. And uh, Simulacra 2 going to be coming out next week. I'm going to be giving you more on that one later. But uh, in the meantime, we got some, uh, some, some fresher waters to explore, I think. You know, in other words, we should just talk about our next game. Yeah. In other waters. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nailed it. This is a game by Jump Over the Ages. It is their only game, and it was published by Fellow Traveler, which you might be familiar with because they did Neocab, Pester Quest, The Church of Darkness, and The Stillness of the Wind. Ooh. They've done they've done a few games that have now been in the Humble Bundle. 
This will run you $14.99 outside of this beautiful deal that you get with Humble. Uh, and it's a minimalist underwater adventure game. And I use the term minimalist in, like, the literal sense of the term. It is, this game does something really interesting, really, really well that you don't see in a lot of games. And it's it's just minimalism. It It hmm. really showcases the idea that games don't have to be complex or buck wild to be really good experiences. Because this game, it, all the information is is presented very plainly to you. In just like an image on the screen, you're you're given an image with like four buttons up at the top that you can click that sort of change a menu that you can go through for a few things. And you, you're given a sort of topographic view of the map and you can click on things and move. And that's pretty much it. That's all there is to this gameplay. It It's... You play as uh, you play as the suit of a deep sea diver guy who's who's sort of on an adventure looking on this alien planet for life and stuff, uh, which we'll get more of the story later. But you your entire control of this is just showcased and interacted with on this screen with a few simple clicks. But I I kind of have to like explain the gameplay just to t- talk about this game because yeah. it, it's such a fundamental part of the experience and it is. You have, you have a button that you click to scan the area around you. When you scan the area, it pops up with, like, anything that's nearby. If there's a little flower icon, that means there's, like, local flora, fauna, creatures that you can scan and get more information about them. If there's a triangle, it's an un... 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 It is a previously unlearned about location that you can travel to. So you can click on the triangle, it becomes a circle, and it tells you a little bit about the location. And you're exploring this all from, like, inside a submarine, essentially, just looking at a radar, right? It's not even that. You're not even in a submarine. You are literally just a suit, like a oh. like a scuba suit, basically, that the dude is wearing. Oh. Uh, yeah, that's it. You're just, you're sort of just given, it's it's more about, like, you're, essentially, you're an artificial intelligence that, that like, controls the movement and stuff. And so you're, you're given this sort of, like, this is what the AI would be seeing, a broad overview of, like, the locations you can go to and propel the suit to and sort of like that. Uh, it, it feels very much like a submersible, submersible, su- a submarine, whatever you want to call it. Uh, but it's, it is representing a suit rather than like an actual sub. Uh, I, I think they just chose that sort of presentation because it's familiar with the idea of underwater travel. Uh, but yeah, so, so you're given this, this scan ability. You can click on things. When you click on them, you can press another button to travel to them. And that is that is the extent of this game. You have power and oxygen you can manage. You can refuel your power by dropping specimens that you've collected into the power. Or there are some little puzzles that you can solve. When you scan an environment, you might find a location that you can travel to, but you can't get there because the the local species has overrun and they've like clogged up the area and you can't actually travel to it. But you'll have some specimens that you can drop in the area to clear them out. Uh, so there's this puzzle aspect of, like, what do these specimens do to each other and to the environment that allow you to travel around uh, more freely, which is super cool. It, it, it's really simple. And it creates this balance of, like, I'm collecting specimens for research and understanding, and you have to take them back to the lab and, and run diagnostics on them to to learn more about it. Or do I just chuck it in the wild and see what it does and see if it can get me past this area and things like that. Uh, as you go through the game, you get more suit upgrades. So, like, you'll get, like, an ability to uh, a propul- propulsion system, which allows you to, like, travel through stronger currents. 
you you fuel it it drains your power a lot quicker and you fuel it with more organisms and it lets you get to like new areas of the map it, it's really it's really simple it, like the the blanket explanation that i'm giving you is is as in-depth as the game gets really it, it's it's so minimal in in both gameplay and presentation and but it's all contrary to pop-up dungeon this game is like it's all in service of the story the story is presented as this sort of like mystery where the main character is on this foreign planet looking for uh, their old research partner, Mine, Mania, something like that. It's, it's, it's spelled weird. It's hard to pronounce. I don't know. They don't, there's no audio, so it doesn't tell you. Uh, <laughs> and you're given this sort of trail of breadcrumbs that you have to follow and try to figure out where she is, why she was here, and what she was studying. As you uncover more about the world and species, you're sort of like fed some information about the main character's past with this other research partner and like some traumatic thing happened and you're you're learning more about their relationship as you're trying to figure out like why is she being so secretive while exploring this area. It's super good. Uh, the artist, the art style is is ridiculously minimal as, as i talked about like all of it is is just triangles and and circles and little flower shapes on the map but there is access to just like absolutely stunning images of the species that you you're finding and researching about after you do enough scans of them mm. and find out enough information in the sort of like bio information you can go to an, a thing that shows images of it so all of these flora and fauna they're like they're drawn out they exist this is this is not just like the developers are cutting corners like this world exists and you get just like the littlest glimpse of what this world actually looks like through the logs and information and descriptions. Mm. It's all visual and it's just, it's beautiful. It's so well done. And in the way they sort of just feed you the visual descriptions and, and the actual images of what this place looked like, it's absolutely beautiful. And, and I love it so much. Uh, little, little nitpick things. The minimalism does make it really easy to lose some information. There's no like, there's no giant, giant, giant. There's no giant. <laughs> there's no large or giant uh, pop-ups when the, when there's dialogue. Like you have a designated dialogue box, and and if you if you miss it because you can just like you can be paying attention to scans and stuff and not looking at the dialogue box. If you miss the dialogue box, you just miss the conversation. You miss everything about it. Like there, there's no there every all the dialogue is on a timer too. So you have like a minute to read it or whatever, and then it automatically clicks to the next thing, basically. So it really forces you to kind of keep engaging and paying attention because you will just lose some of the story if you're not, uh, which kind of sucks for a very lore-heavy game. But I think it keeps you checked in, which is which is kind of nice. Uh, and it's it's very text-heavy. It's it's you know, it's another sort of like sunless sea, sunless skies. It it is all dialogue. It, there's no audio. There's no voiceovers. It, I mean, there's audio like sound effects, but no voiceovers. There's it's just walls of text, walls of text for descriptions of things, walls of text for continuing the plot line. So if if you got a hard time with reading and focusing on text based games, it might be it might be a little challenging for you, but it's it's so low stress. It's a low commitment game. It's really easy to just like pick up and put down how long to beat has it in only like five hours to beat. So it's it's fairly short. It's not like a huge commitment. And I, I think the minimalist game design is such a great aspect to see so well executed 
that like this game is is absolutely worth it for like the the art of it alone hmm would you say that it's comparable to something like subnautica no i don't like i i i went i went into this expecting it to be comparable to something like subnautica but it like hmm. if you took subnautica and took like all of the player man if you turned <laughs> if you turned subnautica into a visual novel it'd probably be this <laughs> okay <laughs> just the the experience of being in a foreign land and surrounded by all kinds of alien creatures that you're slowly gathering more intelligence about and it's sort of like yeah. the narrative experience of, of that exactly exactly it meets sort of the narrative experience and that that sort of like underlying mystery that subnautica has of like okay th there's something weird actually going on here that we don't know about so i i think in in sort of story presentation i, I it's very similar to subnautica but the gameplay is just so radically different. Yeah, fundamentally. Yeah, different. yeah, fundamentally. It, it it makes it really hard to compare the two games. Hmm. That's really interesting. But, That's not actually what I expected to hear from that game. Yeah, I I was not expecting it at all. I I <laughs> I, I very much enjoyed it though. I I think it's beautiful, beautiful presentation of minimalism. Oh my god. Uh, it'll it'll roll burn the images of triangles into your skull all right let's roll with that uh the next game here is scully <laughs> <laughs> developed by finish line games they uh had have you heard of this game they made a first person point and click adventure game about sentient talking corn it's called maze yeah, you're making a face. I think this is your exact kind of game, so you might want to check this one out. It's like a comedy adventure game, and it's like it looks right up your alley. Um, but yeah, this is published by Modus Games, who have done uh, also they they did another game on our bundle this month actually, Remothered Broken Porcelain, uh, as well as Trine Four, Rock of Ages Three, another game, and Bear With Me. Uh, you're making a face that is like, I can't believe that this game about corn exists. Uh, you, you left out a whole, a whole important thing in this. Yeah? Maze is a first person adventure game about what happens when two scientists misinterpret a memo from the US government and create sentient corn. <laughs> well, I didn't give the details, but yeah, that's how it happens. <laughs> It's okay. supposed to be very much uh, on the on the comedic angle. Welcome, uh, welcome to my wish list maze. <laughs> yeah, it's been sitting there for a minute for me. I want to get that game sometime. But this game right here, Scully, uh, it costs thirty dollars plus five dollars for an OST. It is nine dollars right now on sale. Uh, so what is it? It's a cute little three D platformer uh, adventure. It feels ripped straight out of like a lost generation of collectathons from the ps2 and gamecube era just it feels like it could fit right home in that library of games uh you play as scully who's a cute little reanimated clay skull as you help the friend who summoned you terry to try to stop all of his siblings from fighting uh it turns out that terry is like related to an entire family of gods and he is the earth god representative of like all of rocks or terra you know terry terra 
Anyway, who would have thunk? <laughs> their mother recently died, however, and left them on their own. And now they're fighting over this thing called the life part, which uh, was supposedly like a part of their mother. And it became something that like the various family members want for themselves. that They can cover the world in water, cover it in rocks, light it all on fire, wrap it all in eternal gusts of wind. You know, like essentially claim the earth for their domain. Um, it sort of reminds me of like the, <laughs> the planet's life source, like Final Fantasy VII life stream. Uh, anyway. Basically, you play as a little skull man helping Terry on his quest. It's odd, though, that Terry is never really seen, or any of the supporting cast, for that matter, in the actual game. They're only there in cutscenes, which (laughs) is a little bit weird to me. Because he's, like, constantly talking over your shoulder and commenting on the things that you're doing. And it's weird that, like, I never see him as he, as this is happening. But it's also, like, a quirk that I swear all of these, like, early PS2 games had. Where, like, they would yeah. just have people talking to you that were supposed to be in your party, but they aren't, like, directly seen on the screen. Um, uh, the only exception to this is, like, a wind god who you fight during a boss battle. Uh, and even then, the water god who, like, helps you out during this fight, like, isn't even visible during the fight. It's like, I, I could tell that they probably had some budgetary limitations that were such that they probably couldn't do a whole lot with, like, the character models other than put them in basic poses, mm-hmm. uh, the cutscenes. So, um, it looks good. It's got, like, a pretty decent lighting, fire, and water effects, but I admit that it lacks a little bit of vibrance. It doesn't really look... It's kind of dull-looking compared to, you know, some other, like, mascot characters that are similar. Uh, I love Skelly at the end of the day. that He is basically just a rock who gets eaten by mud monsters and becomes a larger rock. So, you know, he's cute, but it's... The appeal only goes so far. Uh, so, uh, on that note... Yeah. Uh, how would you find this game comparable to Knack? To Knack? That's actually a pretty good comparison point. Because I think I never played Knack, but Knack is like sort of a. It tried to like redo the whole like collectathon thing and like the sort of PS4 generation, trying to like mm-hmm. hit hit on that note again. And it definitely feels like it's kind of trying to do that, where like you're you're rolling around doing platforming challenges, defeating bosses, and the main thing is everywhere you go are these little like yellow flowers that like provide optional side challenges and puzzles for you to get a little bit of extra collectibles along the side. And um, that feels like, you know, like collecting the Wumpa fruit from Crash Bandicoot, like the, the just all, all of the little like collectathon things where you just like grabbing all the little things up in the environment. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it feels satisfying, but I admit that there really isn't much of a reward for doing it. Um, like, they only unlock concept art as far as I can tell. And, and if, if again, to kind of draw the comparison back to Knack, uh, a game that I have not played, but <laughs> uh, it, it feels like it's trying to revive that, that genre a little bit. And it feels more so like it's caught in the sort of design weirdness of that era. Like it hasn't so much progressed past it. Whereas Knack feels like almost a, uh, from what I understand, a distillation to the point of it being completely negligible and not really fun or entertaining. It's like, like it's too simplistic. It's too uh, mm-hmm. easy. It's too mashy with the combat. And in this game, uh, you know, I the jumping around and everything is scully. Honestly, feels pretty good. 
you know, rolling around as this little ball and jumping around all these different surfaces. Uh, you, when you get on a slanted surface, you sort of like slide down the the wall a little bit, so you kind of have to keep adjusting yourself to stay on the wall. Um, so it feels good, you know, rolling around. It's not like you have perfect control over your character, like you can't write your name in the sand or anything perfectly. Uh, but you know, it's it's good enough, and you, you get a little shadow beneath you that really helps with placement. Uh, that a lot of these sort of 3D platformers have, so that like you can always know what's directly beneath you. Uh, it really mm -hmm. helps for readability uh, when when going through these levels. Um, so, like, uh, the combat in this game, I, I would say, is not very good. Uh, Knack, it was seemed like that was like a major focus of that game, where it was all about like the sort of combat and messing up people like half the time. Uh, and in this game, it's sort of like there are a couple of blobs that are like water creatures that can spray water at you and cause your little rock body to dissolve, and that's about it. And they're more kind of things that are in the way of solving the puzzles rather than them being a central aspect that you're supposed to focus on, uh, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Uh, also, I just feel like I should mention that the camera in this game is not very good. Uh, it's like... I played it on a Steam controller, and honestly, it's pretty responsive and pretty good in terms of, like, it being a good manual camera, but there is not a single, like, directed camera shot in this game, so you have to do all of the maneuvering yourself for every single, like, time you want to look at anything in this game, and I think that's just a little bit tedious, especially when there are interesting things happening in the background during boss fights, for example, that are like, mm -hmm. you might want to look at this, it's an interesting thing that's happening, but the way that, like, it sort of sets you up. It's like you're you're always managing it yourself rather than the game doing any of the work for you. Um, also, there's like a Crash Bandicoot-style chase sequence that pops up, and those suck ass. We, can those just go away forever? <laughs> I hate... Like, I mean, I, I, Crash Bandicoot was fun and all, but... It can go. It can, it can stay in the nineties. You know, like why would I not look where I'm running? Why would I not look where I'm running? Just show me where I'm going, please. When I'm when I'm a tiny little ball that can easily fall off any slope, I like to know where I'm going. Mm -hmm. Anyway, this, this is a pretty linear game. No hub world or anything. So, you know, in that sense, it's it's similar to Knack and that it was just like a linear experience start to end. There's no like Banjo-Kazooie style, like large hub world that you get to explore and have fun in. Um, there are, and this pissed me off, invisible walls littered throughout the game in, in levels where it just feels unnecessary. Like, I, I feel like that's just a design concept that is fundamentally outdated out of after games like Breath of the Wild have come out that have just let you go wherever you want as long as you have the ability to get there like mm -hmm. and this game kind of it has points where you're allowed to solve puzzles in sort of your own creative way right like i there was a part where i could have like um used probably like the throw dude and just had him like throw my head but instead like i i did this whole series of like moving platforms you know in that sense it sort of has like a trying element of like there's multiple solutions to a single problem that mm -hmm. uh you can sort of implement and i think that's cool but it also is just really tedious um i think part of that has to do with the sort of upgrade system that you have in this game or transformation system i should say where throughout the game you learn these three different transformations uh and you sort of get these like little physical bodies that you can place around in the level 
that can do different things for you. So you can have three of these little mud people out at a time, and you can summon and dismiss them at any point at a checkpoint. Uh, which, by the way, I don't know if I mentioned the checkpoint system in this game, but it does have a checkpoint system, and it kind of stresses me out sometimes where, like, it it sort of has, like, a Dark Souls thing of, like, trying to get to the next bonfire of, like, oh, where's the next checkpoint? Oh, God, it's got to be around here somewhere. Please, Lord, I don't want to lose all my progress because when you die, you lose all of the flowers that you just collected, and that feels a little mm -hmm. antiquated to me where, like, I already got the thing. You know, like, Mario, you, 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 you get the thing and then you're good. You know, you don't have to recollect it after you die or whatever, because that's dumb. It's not yeah. fun. Uh, so you, you you get your three forms that you can you can do stuff with. Uh, there's the strong form, who's like a slower combat form. He has a punch attack and a slower, like, where he stops in place and charges for like a long-range earth quick attack. It's a little sluggish. It doesn't feel great. Uh, but later on, he does get the ability to throw the little skull core around which can be used to cross like long gaps, which is really fun. Uh, then there's the swift form, which is like this tiny little mud dude who has the ability to uh, break into a horizontal dash. This can be used to clear gaps and jump over stuff. Um, but it's a little bit like, <laughs> it's it's so fast and so precise sometimes that it can be a little bit weird to use. It's a mm -hmm. little finicky. Uh, he also has the ability to move platforms around with his mind, but only on the horizontal axis. Uh, and it's not really explained well why or how that this ability works. You just sort of sort of told to like experiment with your abilities, and then you can eventually figure out that there are stuff with flowers that you can move around. Weird. Yeah, it's and there's like inscriptions on the wall, but it's really easy to miss them on that part. I feel like especially. Um, but uh, then there's also like the vault form, who is just like the Jar Jar Binks from the Lego games, where he has like a double jump ability, and that's like his main shtick is that he he. He can jump. That, that, that's what he does. He jumps. And uh, he also has the ability to move platforms up and down on a vertical axis. So um, eventually, in like later stages of the game, you get these puzzles where you have the ability to like move a platform and like you'll, you'll place one point, right, for, for, for the platform, and then you'll place another point, and then it'll move between the two points, creating an automatic platform where it like is automatically going back and forth between the two points. Right, and now mm -hmm. imagine that you you have to for every single time that you do this, uh, you can only do it vertical or horizontal. And any time that you want to have it go in a different direction, you have to get another guy over to that spot in order to get a, another command in order to kind of like go over the the previous command. It's weird and complicated. As you're talking about this, this whole sort of like shtick and setup, talking about sort of like reminiscent of old school, these sort of like. 3d platformer adventure games it, it sounds more like secret agent clank than necessarily like the main shoot games yeah i could totally see that like i didn't play that but i do remember seeing video of that it was like a psp game right yeah uh, yeah where it's sort of like a linear set of levels with a couple of puzzles that are kind of decent platforming challenges that also kind of get you to think a little bit Mm -hmm. uh it's definitely more along that vein than like a banjo kazooie let's say okay uh even though it does have that sort of aspect of like there are things everywhere that you see that you just want to go run and grab because you know collectibles even though the, the yep. reward for getting all the collectibles isn't actually all that <laughs> valuable at all you'd honestly probably have a pretty decent time just going to the end of the game and avoiding most of the off the path collectibles which is what i did because i wanted to beat the game uh mm -hmm. Even then, I didn't quite get there, though. Um, I got, 
remember that whole thing that I was describing about the moving platform thing? It's so complicated and weird. I stopped streaming last night because I was like, I, my brain can't handle this. And I picked it up earlier. And like, I get it now, but it just sucks. It's tedious. It's just, it's not fun. I, it's too much mm -hmm. of me figuring out what to do and then knowing what to do and then trying over and over again to get the game to work the way that I want it to so that I can do the thing that it wants me to do. It just like setting up these weird series of moving platforms that don't operate at the right speed because they're platforms that I made instead of the game made that were designed properly. So it's, it's just finicky and weird and tedious. And that's honestly the way that I feel about the majority of this game. I think that it has a lot of charm. I think that there's a lot of good stuff going on. Like the, the voice actor for Terry is really funny uh, and I giggled a lot at his lines, but it's also like very much like a child's fairy tale story. It's not very substantial. It's just kind of like, oh man, the, the siblings are conflicting and, and the mom is sending in Scully to solve the problem and save the day. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, it's not too much uh, crazier than like, you know, your your Pixar animated short or whatever. You're giggling. What's up? It's just it just dawned on me that Banjo-Kazooie is just about property rights. <laughs> yeah, actually, no, you're right. A hundred percent. The whole thing starts because he just is getting a victory. It's, it's all about property rights. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 by, by Gruntilda. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah, you know, and like land ownership. <laughs> that's honestly something that I, I don't feel like is really talked about enough. Is like the weird sort of like worker element of like the <laughs> talk the, about the what narrative. subtle things radicalized you. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, like, well, I don't know. It's sort of I, I feel like Benjamin Kazooie has that British perspective, like the British dry humor of like, well, why is a bear going off on an adventure? Wouldn't it be funny if it's because his house was foreclosed or something, and he had to go? Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you go save his house that's hilarious <laughs> and that's, sorry, that's the reason sorry. why he gets when off you, of his bare ass no i i get it that's a hilarious <laughs> interlude but anyway uh that's, that's basically all she wrote about this this game you know it's just some cute platforming segments some puzzle segments some uh segments that combine a bit of both chase sequ sequences that are kind of lame and a couple of boss battles that have you just doing some specific challenges in a small area with some cool music interspersed with cutscenes in between explaining the, the context and the story i i feel like it reminds me a lot of older ps2 era collectathons for all the wrong reasons in terms of the jank and the tedious nature of it uh feeling like i had solved puzzles long before i'd inputted the buttons that allowed it to happen uh the frustrating checkpoint system makes me uh not want to replay parts of a level that i've already beaten and it also like has this problem where like I'll beat a level and I won't realize like as I'm walking to the end of the level that it's the end of the level because there's no signposting that lets you know this is the end of the level. So I'll just mm -hmm. be like if I wanted to be a collectathon person and, and completionist and get every single thing, I would have trouble with it and I'd have to play it at least more than twice because there are parts of the game where you just randomly walk through a load screen and then you're at the end of the game. You're at the end of the level and you're moving on to the next thing. And it's like I didn't want to finish the level. There's more things I wanted to collect game. You didn't let me know that was the end of the level. You just, eh. and then you can't go back until you fucking go to the chapter select. And so stuff Years like of war had that problem. I understand that frustration. Yeah. It's just, it's just outdated. I feel like I, I don't know. It, it, it's a lot of things about this game feel outdated and tedious, but that being said, I don't want to rag on this game too much because this game has like 15 reviews in steam 
And I feel like my the the general overall experience that I had was positive, even though I do have a lot of minor complaints about it. And I do think that more people should check it out. I just do think that there it are just, like a lot of sticking points that are like It feels like the kind of game and the style of game that like you're instead of standing on the shoulder of giants they're trying to compete and emulate the giants right without learning the lessons fundamentally that, mm -hmm. that, that were like failures of that era and the things that we've sort of moved on from since then it sort of feels like it's trying to ape that without understanding the the things that were not good mm-hmm you know, like, I wish if there was, like, an overworld or something that, that like, it would piece together each level a little bit better. If there was more signposting at the end of levels, if it was a little bit less tedious and less time-consuming to do the different challenges and stuff. Because you're constantly having to switch between your three different dudes uh, or make new ones or, or trash the old ones, you know. Uh, it, it's just, it's just a little, just a little much. Just, just a little bit of a, of a... Shoot, 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 shooty gun, gun tooty. This is a segue. Uh, next game. That whole transition went south. And now we're gonna take it to the west, the wild, wild west, the Colt Canyon, baby. Oh, baby, let's go. That's right. A game by Retrifric. I cannot. I, I've tried so hard to pronounce this game name. <laughs> A game by create <laughs> Colt Canyon Retrifric. They did Invisibox and just get through. There we go. <laughs> you made it. Published by Head Up Games, who did Dead Age Two, Cardicalism, Tiny Shot, Tinker Town, a whole bunch of other stuff. Publishers, they got their hands in all the pies. And this game will run you fourteen ninety nine. Uh, this is a roguelite twin stick shooter. If you're not familiar with twin stick shooters, I I think I've said this so many times on this podcast, but. <laughs> One one stick aims and shoots. One stick moves you in a in in the in the space. It, it's a simple concept. Uh, if you're familiar with games like Enter the Gungeon, Binding of Isaac, you'll have a pretty good grasp on the core loop of this game because it's very reminiscent and similar to those games. Uh, this year you run around, you aim at things, and you shoot them. That's it. The core loop, it's its very solid. Killing things feels super satisfying. There's a lot of variance in the enemies you encounter and how the fights play out. There's tons of weapons scattered throughout crates. You dro They drop off enemies. You can buy them at shops. They all change what type of ammo you use and give you access to different styles of gameplay. You know, you, there's auto rifles. You can just throw pots and pans if you want to take a quieter approach. There's TNT launchers. There's bows and arrows. So... There's tons of variety in what in what you can do. Uh, there's uh, ten different characters that you can unlock, and they all have different stats and starting weapons. So, like, you can get the bow character, who has a slightly faster movement speed and, and is a little less detectable and starts with a bow. Where Or you can play the just classic shotgun boy, who's just got a shotgun, and you run real slow and you got extra health, but you got a shotgun. So there, there's variety in the characters. There's a whole stealth mechanic, speaking of, like, being caught, that, like, you can sneak past or silently kill everything in this game up to bosses. You can go the entire level without being detected. It's it's sort of like Dishonored vibes in that, like, you can murder everyone or you can murder no one. You can keep your murders quiet or, you know? <laughs> uh, and, and the boss fights. The boss fights are 
I've only done one so far, but it was so good. You fight a giant lasso dude. The the fight was really engaging. They keep you on your toes, paying attention to like the environment around you because moving slow when you interact with things. Ads were spawning during the wave. I had to balance like my distance between the mo- the the boss while killing the ads and and maintaining my position in space. Super good boss fight that that challenged a lot of different things and kept me on my toes. Uh, eh, roguelite aficionados might might be interested in the next bit of information. You can, of course, fight the shopkeeper. Yes. It's a... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it feels like a fairly balanced fight too. This this isn't no Splunky shopkeeper, honestly. This is <laughs> <laughs> he's not keeping you on your toes as much. Yeah, this is, it's a pretty fair and balanced fight. Uh, he's got a lot of health, so you're gonna be whittling away at him for a while. I definitely recommend having some ammo on board. Uh, and when you when you fight him, one of the three items that you fight that you he has for sale randomly becomes available for free. Uh, so I, I think that's totally fair in, in the in the scale of how challenging the fight is. It feels balanced. It feels like a decent reward and everything. Uh, the the style of this game, the the like lighting and and color palette and everything, it's all done in like the style of the the sort of old Wild West wanted posters with the like aged yellow and the black. Uh, those are the sort of two main colors in the color scheme here, and it's all pixel graphics for for the characters and the environment so it, it it's nothing like incredible it's it, pretty standard but it, it it's, it's all right it's a it's an interesting presentation and style again with roguelites it, it's one of the fundamental flaws of a lot of them there's not much story here it's all in service of the gameplay in the loop like it, it, you know you're just you're just dicking around and having a good time with this game what story there is is your lover was kidnapped by some bandit cowboy folks and you got to go rescue her like that's that's the extent of the story just just do murders through the town to go save your lover that's that's about it yeah i i <laughs> i said specifically in my in my discussion of, of if i enjoyed this game i i know the binding of isaac dlc just dropped so this da- game has a lot to compete with at the moment because that just overhauled all of Binding of Isaac and I know everyone is on that right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it makes a really solid choice for just some dumb fun and if you need like a mindless roguelite, you want to just do a couple loops before work or something, like it's easy to pick up, it's easy to play, it's a lot of fun, especially if you've gotten bored with the big names of the genres. Like I, I, I definitely think this is worth checking out. Does it play similarly to Binding of Isaac? Absolutely, yeah. It plays similar to all of those Gungeon, Binding of Isaac, the twin stick shooter, top down roguelite experience. It plays very similar to that. Gotcha. Uh, it's it's more Gungeon in the sense that like all the enemies for the most part are shooting back at you, so you're doing a little more bullet time dodging stuff. But uh, I say bullet time, but that's not in the game. Don't get your hopes up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it, it's more based on on dodging and, and whatnot. It still sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah. I don't know that I have much else to say about it. It just sounds like a fun time. What is... What is this? What is... Uh... That's all the games. That's all the games. So the next game that we're going to talk about here uh, is an extra that is not actually a part of the bundle. I just wanted to mention it because a developer sent it to us, and it's the first time that we've ever had a game sent to us to review, and I just think that's really cool. Uh, so I just wanted to give it a quick shout-out. It's called Lion Quest Infinity. It's developed and published by Dracula's Cave. Uh, they've also made some like DAWs called Audio Theory and uh, 
they made the previous Lion Quest game and a game called Sloth Tales. It seems like they're a pretty, like, low-key, not super popular yet, kind of underground developer. Uh, this game is $11, and it is a 3D platforming game split up into nighttime platforming segments and daytime slice-of-life visual novel-type office work stuff. It's pretty cool. You, at night, you play as Jethro the Lion. It's like this creative little 3D pl puzzle platforming segment. Uh... They have these, like, really cute dreamscapes and simple 3D shapes, and the story plays out about this group of animals who are working together to, like, steal a grandfather clock. I don't really n understand fully how this relates to the office plot yet. They seem like two sort of separate but congruent plots, and I, I don't know how they, they mesh together, but uh, it, it's interesting that it sort of plays in these two different uh, levels here. The platforming, I felt like, could be a little bit frustrating at times when you fail and it sort of requires you to backtrack all the way back in order to try again. So it requires some patience, especially to get to the end of some of those levels. Uh, later, you gain the ability to like swap between characters during these segments. Uh, they get different abilities like you know jumping, double jump, dash, more, stuff like that. Really, really basic and simple. Um, but yeah, it's it's enjoyable. It's a very chill kind of late night type of wind down game. Uh, during the day, you work this office IT job where you get daily updates in the life of this game developer who makes Jethro the Lion, like the video game in his spare time. It might be like semi-autobiographical. I'm not entirely sure. Um, there is like a making of the game that I haven't watched yet because I wanted to finish playing the game before I watched it. <laughs> um there are multiple bonus games hidden in here somewhere as well like sloth tales and here comes the missile kid don't know what that's about but i'm very curious about it uh yeah I'm, you might be noticing i'm saying a lot of like i don't know what this is yet and i want to see it uh it's because I, I plan to come back to this game at some point but i had to give a, a highlight to it real right now while i'm still like I, I meant to mention it in like the past couple of months but uh I, hell yeah let's get into it now but yeah the, the soundtrack is super chill it's it's fun to vibe to uh Again, don't really understand how the two worlds connect, but that's fine. It probably connects later. It's just not really apparent right away. Uh, just want to give a big shout-out to the developer for sending us the game. It's the first time anyone has done this, so thanks, Dracula yeah, Cave. Yeah, super chill. means a lot. Uh, I hope more people check out your game. It seems like it's being like kind of critically underlooked right now. So, love you. Thank you so much. And uh, if anyone else wants to send us some games to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we'll do, we'll do it. We'll, talk, we'll, we'll do it. We'll find we'll, the time. We'll talk about your games. We'll do, we'll do, a, whole, we'll do a whole segment. <laughs> yeah. All right, but that's that's the end uh, of this podcast. Let's go ahead and jump to our little that's closing it. segment. That's it. Yeah. What's uh What's your game of the month? So my game of the month. Uh, did I put Scully? That's because <laughs> we were talking about it while you were typing. Oh, you're totally right. It's Simulacra. Uh, Simulacra is my game of the month for sure. Uh, I really, we really are, enjoyed it. We are on some pretentious art shit this month because, like, in other waters is mine, and Yo. that is just like. <laughs> hey, you know, sometimes our, our pretentious art major uh, sort of shines through our, our our lapels, and you can kind of see it seeping through <laughs> into the into the content that we make. Uh, <laughs> we are liberal arts majors, after all. Can't forget. Yep. <laughs> just, I, I love the 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 found footage nature of it, and I think that's a, such a creative delivery mechanism for a game. I think it was originally released on like mobile devices, and I think that would be such a ideal way to experience mm -hmm. it, as like if it was like on your phone and you're like looking through somebody's phone as on your it's phone, someone else's phone, yeah, yeah. As, as if it was somebody else's. Like that's so cool. I love that. So Even cool. playing it on a computer, I still really enjoyed it. I thought I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant little game, fun mystery, and a little spooky. I bet. 
to boot. To boot. <laughs> minimalism doesn't get portrayed better than in other waters. Like, fuck. Mm-hmm. If you if you if you're going through an arts degree like we had to, and you're discussing minimalism in your class, fucking play this game and show them. Be like, motherfuckers, we're talking about video games. You pretentious fucks. They're a form of art too. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Um, what else have we been playing? I played some Dead by Daylight a couple weeks ago. Last week, I don't remember. This is pretty much it. I I have not been playing anything. I'm a busy boy right now. I feel that we've both been in such like busy dire straits. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, I I did manage to find a little bit of time uh, to play Forza Horizon Four. I ended up buying it recently, and I've had so much fun with it. Uh, on my like Hell fighting yeah. game night streams as well, I picked up Street Fighter Four, trying that out, uh, in My Hero One's Justice uh and then also just kind of occasionally popping into my animal crossing town to check in see how things are going uh that's sort of like my deal oh and i got um what's it called um super mario maker 2 so i'd like to play that at some point potentially on stream that'd be really fun yeah yeah so anyway the charity this month is the Stop AAPI Foundation. They are all dedicated to helping in re, re- stand. I'm gonna read the. I'm gonna read their statement because <laughs> our communities stand united against racism. Hate against Asian American Pacific Islander communities has risen during COVID nineteen pandemic. Pan- the. You want to try again? You want you want to <laughs> give it another go? Here, uh, you got it. The charity this month is the Stop AAPI Hate, and they are, uh, their community stand against racism. Hate against Asian American Pacific Islander communities has risen during the COVID-19 pandemic, and they are all about trying to combat that and put a stop to the, the misinformation and the, the shitty hatred towards AAPI folks. That's a really good cause, and I feel like it's right a very now good it's cause. especially important. Yeah, very, very good cause, especially right now. Uh, oh, we, we we have a spot here for listener questions. Yeah, we, we have a spot. We didn't put anything here. Uh, uh, we didn't do one last time, so we got to do it this time. We have. We literally have to. I well. Yeah. What, what? Okay. Brainstorm. Uh, oh, oh! I've got it. I've got it. You've I've got, got it? it. That was okay. quick. Um. Yes. 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 What style of art that has been underrepresented in video games oh. would you like to see made into a video game? Like just the sort of styling of it. You know. What? Well, why? Okay. I, I can tell you the first thing that immediately pops into my mind. Do you want to hear it? Oh, no, no. We got to leave him on the hook. Okay, okay, okay. You'll give it to him next week. Here, I'll write <laughs> it down so I won't forget. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Oh, that's good. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I so get you. S- sort of a... Uh, so yeah. that sort of big S word. Yeah. Yeah, or I I am. It, yeah, it, yeah, I yeah, that one that yeah. one's more more apt, yeah. I think that's the right one anyway. Uh it, we're super vague. It, oh, you'll find <laughs> out next time <laughs> on the bundle bourgeoisie. Ooh. In, is that the end? The podcast thing. Like us, like, subscribe, oh, follow us, send us that. to your friends. You should do that before. Uh, you know. <laughs> you know the podcast stick. You you yeah. listen to podcasts. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this is their first podcast. You don't know that. Oh, if this is your first podcast, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. This is probably a very poor, uh, like, representation, a, a facsimile of, of what the rest are like. I mean, I'm sure that all the others are, are much better, so I'm sorry. 
No, I was apologizing because it doesn't get better than this. Like you're setting you're setting the bar. Like you you, you can't you can't listen <laughs> to this and then go listen to Adventure Zone. You're gonna be disappointed. You know what? You're right. The Bim Bam. What the fuck? They just answer Yahoo questions. Like what the fuck? That's that's Yahoo. not pertinent. Yahoo answers aren't even gonna be a thing. They're fucking done. They're yeah, fucking it's dead. It's dead. Their whole out. media is dead. Like they're they're, they're that, out that the whole, fucking door. Yeah, yeah, you get, we're all you have now. They're, they're we're all you cool. have. The McElroy brothers are dead. They're fucking nothing compared to us. Their, their whole shtick is gone. <laughs> Ours will be here forever. The humble choice bundle isn't it's stopping. Never going away, baby. We're gonna be reviewing games until the end of time. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> If I were to be like the director of an F Zero game, like a new F Zero game, because there was like a Twitter post recently that was like, "Oh, um, like the only reason why Nintendo hasn't made a new F Zero game is because they they can't figure out how to make it novel." Come on. Um, I would make it like an F like like an F One game actually. Show me a move. The way that they structure the sort of story of the the game and how it's sort of like a narrative around your career as a professional race driver and like the sort of emergent narrative that comes from like getting losses or getting wins and then having rivals and then like how you treat your like sort of uh, the media appearances and stuff like that. Oh. Like, I think that would be really interesting from the perspective of playing as the character of Captain Falcon and, and like seeing that side of him. Falcon! Yeah. Cause we never get to see like that aspect of Captain Falcon for the, for the most part in F-Zero. Cause I don't know. It would, it would add something in between the races to sort of keep it interesting. Yes. And I mean, it, it they're basically they're based off of each other anyway. F zero is literally the idea like if you take F one and then you you go one step further from you know from F two to F one to F zero like <laughs> so I don't know it makes a lot of sense to apply the same sort of storytelling mechanics in in a new F zero game but they've not really done that ever so just a thought. <laughs>